0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the Gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Over your Bibles this morning. Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, and we're talking about today living out our freedom in Christ. If you're new today, uh, we are walking through the book of of Romans. That's kind of typically what we do here. We walk through books of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so we've come to chapter 6, and we're going to look this morning at verses 5 through 14. It's about our freedom in Christ and, and how to live that out. If you'll find that in your copy of God's Word. And let's stand in honor of of the author of God's word as we look at it together. Romans 6 and beginning with verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, "...for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his." As instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you were not under law but under grace. May God bless His word to our understanding. You may be seated. Let's pray, Father. We we thank you so much for the way that you've already worked in our hearts this morning, as, as we praise you together and, and pray together and. Lord, we're, we're ready for your word. And so we, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would, would speak to our hearts right now. This is a, a very, very powerful, very practical text as we, we think about how to actually live out the freedom that we have already been given, that freedom that was won for us by our Savior through his cross and his resurrection. And we look forward to his return. And we prayed in his name, Amen. Well, recently Melissa and, and Cassidy and I were in D.C. and on a very frigid mid-April day, we uh, did a, the monument tour on the the Mall. And uh, and despite the bitter coldness of that day, my heart was incredibly. Warmed. It had been some years since I'd been through the, the monuments, and it was just an incredibly powerful, heartwarming experience for me. And, and one of the experiences from, that stands out from that day was that we had just visited the Lincoln Memorial, and we were coming down the steps of the, the Lincoln Memorial and the, of course the reflecting pool is out in front of you and the mall just uh, going out in the, in the distance and, and uh, as we were kinda looking out over that reflecting pool and walking down the steps of the Lincoln Memorial I, I began to reflect and I began to think about the fact you know that as we were going down those steps this was the exact place where, on August 28, 1963, where Dr. Martin Luther King gave his most famous speech, his I Have a Dream speech. And I got to thinking, you know, here we were, we were just inside the Lincoln Memorial, the memorial to the president who signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which, which freed the slaves. And of course, the most famous line in that document was that the slaves would be thenceforth and forever free, but yet we're walking down the steps where Dr. King, a hundred years later, gave a speech in which the most famous line of that speech was, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And I got to thinking about the fact that, you know, a hundred years later, after people who were enslaved were free our nation was still trying to work out the meaning of freedom. Because many of the descendants of the slaves lived in places in our country where they couldn't even vote. And where they, they were deprived of other basic human rights. And so, even though people were legally free, at the end of the Civil War, a hundred years later, we were still trying to work out the meaning of freedom people actually living free in our country. That's exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Because we saw last week, and we've seen throughout Romans, that that because of the work of Christ, we as believers are positionally free in Christ. We're no longer enslaved to sin, okay? But we don't always live that out, (laughs) And this passage today is about living out our freedom in Christ. So what do we see in this incredibly rich text? Well, the first thing that we see is we see three realities for the believer. Three realities for the believer. Wonderful realities, glorious realities. And the first one is this if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a new person. You are a new person. Verses 5 and 6. Paul says, "For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, last week, we talked about the meaning of baptism and one of the things that we saw about baptism is that it pictures our union with Christ and when people are lowered beneath the water what does it picture? It pictures burial and so we saw last week in verses 3 and 4 that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were Buried, therefore, with them by baptism into death. You know, I'm not a fan of the New England uh, Patriots, but if you follow football, you can't help but respect what Coach Bill Belichick has done with that team, because before he became their coach, the Patriots were doormats, and since he became their coach, they have turned into a dynasty. But you know, in Belichick's first season, which was 2001, their season started off the same as Patriot seasons had started off before. They were 1-3, and, and they had just been pounded by the Miami Dolphins in their fourth game, 30-10. to 10. And that week... Coach Belichick uh, gathered the guys together kind of in a little area off of the practice field. And he got the guys huddled around him. And he had the football from the previous week's game where they had gotten killed. He had the football in one hand and a shovel in the other. (laughs) And on the ground, Belichick had put a little casket. And so they put the, the football from the previous week into the casket and they buried the football that day. And it was that way, their way of saying what's past is gone, we're moving on. It's, it's dead, it's buried. This is a new beginning. And see, in baptism, when people are buried beneath the water, it's picturing not only the burial of Christ, but it's picturing the fact that the old you, is gone, it is dead, it is buried. And and, and then we are raised to, to walk in newness of life. Listen, that's why you know the in the Bible people are baptized by immersion. And that's the reason why we baptize by immersion here. Now yeah, it would be a whole lot easier just to kind of sprinkle people or or, or whatever, you know, I mean but because I mean Going through, going through baptism by immersion, it's kind of a radical thing, isn't it? I mean, you're plunging a person beneath the water and, and raising them up. Well, it, it is radical, and it's supposed to be radical because it pictures something radical. It pictures the death to the old and, and the burial of that and the resurrection that we've, expe- that we've experienced to, to walk in newness of, of life. So, Christ was buried and raised. We're united to Christ. The old you is buried. We are raised up to walk in newness of life. So, listen, baptism pictures, first of all, our spiritual resurrection. Ephesians 6 uh Ephesians 2 tells us about that. Uh, We see there, beginning in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him. That is our spiritual resurrection Listen, Christianity is not about uh, bad people being made good. It's about dead people being made alive. We have been spiritually raised from the dead. And so baptism pictures that. And baptism pictures something else. It pictures our physical resurrection because the ultimate glory that we're going to experience as believers is going to be when Christ comes again and raises us physically with glorified bodies. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And so we live today between the times... Right, we live between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. We live between our physical resurrection. If we know Christ, we've already been spiritually raised, but one day we're going to be physically raised. So we live between the times. If if we're if we're born again, we're believers, okay, we've already experienced that spiritual resurrection. But we've not yet experienced that physical resurrection when Jesus returns, when we're going to get glorified bodies that will no longer be subject to sin and death. So we're between the times. We've we've been redeemed. We have been spiritually brought from death to life. And yet we still live in these bodies that are still subject to sin and death. So how do we do we do that? Well, a critical part of living between the times is understanding that even though you don't yet have your glorified body that's going to be free from sin, that you are already a new person, that you have already been brought from death to life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. You're a new person in him. That's the first glorious reality. The second is this. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Let's check out verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin listen there's a sense in which when jesus died that the old you died in him and with him This is why Paul, like in Galatians 2.20, says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer uh, live, but Christ lives within me. It's kind of what he's saying here in verses 6 and 7 as well. He's saying here that the old master has no claim upon you. Satan and sin have no claim upon you. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You are a child of God. Now, we're going to talk later on about the implications of that. Third glorious reality. You have a new future. <laughs> you have a new future. Verse. Uh, let's go back to verse 5 again. He says, therefore, if we've been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I love what Dr. Steve Gaines, the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, and in Memphis and president of the Southern Baptist Convention said this week, Dr. Gaines says, said, I'm so glad I don't have to preach about a dead man. I'm so glad I don't have to preach about a dead man. I'm so glad that I get to preach about a living, risen Savior who's alive and who is in the life-transforming business. And he's not only in the life-transforming business, Jesus is in the body-transforming business. Because what does Paul Say here in verse 5. He says if we've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In in other words. When Jesus comes again. We're going to experience a resurrection like his. We're going to have the kind of body. That Jesus walked out of that Palestinian tomb alive with. Right? We're going to have bodies that are physical, but yet they're imperishable. And they're no longer subject to sin or aging or disease or death. And we're going to live with Christ in a new heaven and earth forever and glorified bodies with no sin. Praise God. That is our future. And just knowing that, changes the present because we know that whatever trials that we go through in this life they're just going to be utterly drowned by the glory that awaits us let's check out verses 9 and 10 he says there we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. I love what Dr. Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Seminary, says about these verses. Dr. Aiken says the cross was sin's final move, and the resurrection was God's checkmate. Game's over. And because we are united to Christ, our destiny is intertwined with his destiny. And his victory is our victory. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty-four, and following says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And print this means that whatever trials that we go through, it's going to be fine because Jesus is fine. And he's alive and our present and our future is all bound up with him and held securely by him. Three realities for the believer. You're a new person, you're no longer enslaved to sin, and you have a new future. Now, let's look at three exhortations for the believer in the light of those three realities, okay? Three exhortations for the believer. And the first one is this, think differently about yourself, Think differently about yourself, verse eleven. So you must also consider yourselves, in other words, think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, if Paul were sitting here on the stage, and I were to interview him about sanctification and about how to battle against sin and temptation and things like that, um, I'm, I know that Paul would not. Paul would not just kind of say, hey, grit your teeth, you know, buck up, uh, do better, try harder. It's not what he would say. Paul would say, first of all, you need to begin to do a paradigm shift in your mind, in the way that you think. The battle begins there. Dr. Tim Keller says this, we need to realize that we are not to be stoics when it comes to sin. Just say no. Paul is showing us here that sinning comes not so much from a lack of willpower as from a lack of understanding our position and a lack of reflection and rejoicing. You know, Paul says that the battle begins in our minds. And, and, and what we've got to do is we, we've got we've to continually remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and reflect on that and rejoice in that. And we've got to keep preaching the good news to ourselves that because Jesus has died and risen and because we are united to Him, that we're not enslaved to sin anymore. We are free not to sin. We're not slaves, we're children of God but we got to keep going back to that because of our minds are conditioned otherwise. You know, think about like in the Civil War. Think about like a pe- people, especially older people who have been enslaved for 70, 80 years. Like at the end of the Civil War, I mean, they were, they were immediately free instantly, but, but yet if, for an older person especially who'd lived all their life in slavery, I mean, that had to be something. That had to be a mental transition that was, that was tough to make. And see, and it's that way with us. We, we, are so, we are so conditioned sometimes to think of ourselves as just as helpless slaves to sin that when we come to Christ, it's like our minds have got to begin to think in a new paradigm. And we've got to understand that we are not slaves to sin, that we are free in Christ and that we have the Holy Spirit and that we have the power to live differently. But living differently involves thinking differently about about who you are. And then he tells us this in, in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you were not under law but under grace. Now this flies in the face of what Paul's critics said about the gospel because we talked about it last week. What did Paul's critics accuse him of? They said, hey Paul, listen, all this talk about grace, you're just encouraging people to sin. And how did Paul respond to that? Paul's response was not only does the grace of God not encourage sin, the grace of God is the only thing that is going to help people to stop sinning. Why? Because in the gospel, in the grace of God, when we understand that we are already loved and accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done for us, It is is only when we understand that, that we begin to love God from our hearts. And it's only when we begin to love God from our hearts that we will have the desire to obey him. You see, the the deeper that the grace of God and the gospel gets into your mind and heart and you understand that you were loved and accepted based not on your own performance, but based on the performance of Jesus for you. The more that you understand that grace and that love of God, what, what is the response of your heart going to be? It, the greater your love for him is going to be. That's why 1 John four nineteen says we love. Why? Because he first loved us. And the more that you understand the depth of his love, the more that you love him. And the more you love him, you want to obey him because you love him. And see, this is why the gospel sets us free, not to sin, but to love God and to obey God. It's kind of like when you're flying and you reach that point in the flight where the little ding comes on and people can unbuckle your seatbelts and you'll hear the announcement, you're now free to move about the cabin. It's the gospel that, that frees us to, to live for God and to obey God because we love him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us, right? Sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under law but under grace. And so that's the first exhortation, okay? Think differently about yourself. The second one is do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Look at verses 12 and 13. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, and, and members there just means the parts of your body. Do not present the, the parts of your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now, let's go back to verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. In other words, as believers, if you're a believer and sin has the upper hand, it's because you're letting it happen. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. You're not a slave. And therefore, he says in verse 13, do not present your members, the parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. I mean the very thought of offering, you know, our brain, our mind, and uh, in our, in our eyes, and our mouth, okay, and our hands and our feet to sin as instruments of unrighteousness to be used against the God who loves us just ought to be a nauseating thought to us. The very thought of kind of, of, of taking our, our brains and our eyes and our mouths and our hands and our feet and kind of handing them over to the enemy to use against God ought to just make us want to throw up. But he not only says to, to not do something, but the flip side of that is the call to do something. And that's the third exhortation, do Offer the parts of your body to God, verse thirteen, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members, the parts of your body to God, as instruments for righteousness, so instead of of, of allowing you know, this brain and these eyes and this mouth and these hands and these feet to be used for the devil, we take all the parts of our body and we offer them to God. And we say, Lord, I want every part of myself to be leveraged for your glory. All right, now, let's tie some things together. I want, to tie, I want to tie everything that I've been talking about together. And I just I want to leave you today um, with just some, some very specific uh, points to bring, to bring these things together. First of all, the battle begins in the mind. You talk about the battle against sin and temptation. It begins in the mind. Verse 12, uh, Paul, Paul says there, verse 11 rather, he says to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. The battle begins with with, with thinking of yourself as a new creation. You are not a slave anymore. You are a child of God. You, You are free. You have the power to walk free and live free. And so the battle begins in your mind. Second, the battle involves daily choices and actions. What does he tell us in verse 13? He says, do not present the parts of your body to sin, but present the parts of your body to God. Now listen, friends, this is a daily, a daily battle. It's daily choices that I am, I am not going to allow my eyes to be used by the enemy. I'm not going to allow my mouth to be a tool of the enemy. Rather, I'm going to use these eyes to glorify God and to view things that would glorify him. I'm going to use this mouth to encourage and to build up and to heal and to speak words of life and to speak the good news of the gospel. I'm going to not allow these hands and these feet uh, to be used for things that are going to be tools of the enemy, but instead they're going to be leveraged for the glory of God. This is a daily choice and daily actions. That's the battle. It's daily. you you got to wake up. <laughs> you got to wake up understanding, okay, that today every part of me... Is going to be used for God's glory and not for the enemy. Third, repentance from sin includes replacement of sin. Repentance from sin includes replacement of sin. And here's what I mean I mean verse 13. Because he doesn't just say, do not present the parts of your body to sin. What does he say? Do present them to God. And so he doesn't just say turn away from the things of the enemy. He tells us to turn to the things of God. In other words, we're not called just to play defense. We're called to go on offense. Go on offense against sin. And attack it. At the, very, at the very point, I mean, whatever, whatever your sin issues are, you know, if you struggle with greed, you've got to attack greed with generosity. If you struggle with lust, you've got to attack that with proper care and respect for other people and beginning to see people as image-bearers of God and not as objects. If you struggle with pride, You know, begin to do acts of love and service that are not going to bring you acclaim or strokes. If you struggle with wasting time, that means turning away from hours and hours of video games or mindless TV watching or social media cruising or whatever and and using that time to dig into the Word of God and using that time to serve God. It's not just in repentance involves replacement. It's kind of like pulling. It's kind of like weeds. If you just cut weeds, what happens to weeds? They grow back. You got to pull those weeds up by the roots and then replace them with something good. Fourth, we must always go back to the gospel. Always go back to the gospel. Verse thirteen. What does he say here? There's a little phrase that we might miss. He says, do not present the members, uh, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, and here it is, as those who have been brought from death to life. That is you, Christian. You have been brought from death to life. You have a Savior, Who died for you and was buried and who rose. And the old you is buried and risen in him. You are in him. I love what Dr. Russell Moore says. He says, you know, we we tend to tell people, hey, invite Jesus into your life. (laughs) Dr. Moore says, Jesus doesn't want to come into your life. Your life's a wreck. Jesus invites you into his life, which is a whole lot better. Jesus invites you into his life. As believers, we are in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our union with Christ. We thank you for the implications of that for our lives every day. Father, help us to truly live out the meaning of that and the freedom that we have in Christ. Father, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know what it means to be united to Christ by faith. Father, I pray that your spirit would work and move in their lives and that they would call to you in repentance and faith and turn to you and trust in the Savior and enter into the new life that he gives. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's stand together. If you're here today and God's speaking to you and you need to pray with someone, we're going to be here at the front for you. We'll be here after the service for you. If God's speaking to you about being a part of our church family, we would love to uh, to welcome you as you come. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.